Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Jake58, a.k.a. Big Will. This is Tom from here. Yeah, what's up? You know what it is. Shout out to my, all my fans out there. This is Justin. What's going on? Heavy Hole with all my, my friends. <laughs> my friends call me Dave. The ladies call me disappointing. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. You must You must have a lot of lying women in your life. That's right. He could, he's married. Oh, yeah. He could say stuff like that. I, actually, I, you guys are all married, too, man. What? I want to know why a married man has a picture of Joe Piscopo like that at his house, though. That's kind of weird to me. It's the reason I got married. It's called goals. <laughs> Look at that you, have to, you have to be married to understand the sexiness of Joe Piscopo. Look at that fucking smile, man. Well, take take me through take me through your weekend, guys, one by one. Line it up. You guys ever restring a nylon string guitar? Because that takes all weekend. I always thought nylon was like a suggestion, like. <laughs> no, it's know, real. You, uh, you, you buy them. I thought those they were like. Like that's just what comes stock on guitars. You just get rid of those. Like you cut those off immediately. Nah, dude. They... It's like the tags on clothes. You get rid of them. I ha- yeah, I, I had a nylon string guitar growing up, and you just don't play it hard enough to ever have to change the strings. <laughs> Bro, I play so hard on mine. I play uh, my licks. I don't, I don't play riffs. You don't play riffs on a nylon string. You play licks. Yeah. Okay. It's a very Nashville instrument. It's a Jerry Reed instrument, Chet Atkins style, mm-hmm. and you pick hard with one thumb. Like a weirdo. Once a year, I do it. Huh. They don't need it that much. But yeah, it takes like all weekend. So that was my weekend. So yeah, there's like a weird uh, on the saddle, on the bridge deal kind yeah. of thing, right? Some stress. Some it's kind of like tying a lure, but what? Go on. You're, tr- <laughs> you're not trying to catch <laughs> a, a fish with that tie. You're trying to catch licks. Someone's attention. Oh, yeah. Anyone's okay. attention, yeah, really. Because right. that's what guitar is. Is it not? I thought we were talking about fishing it's up until... All about it. <laughs> Dude, we're weaving. I, I thought we were talking about horseback like fishing, like riding a horse along the beach, like a, a la Planet of the Apes, and then using yeah. nylon fishing uh, uh, reel, you know, nylon fishing yeah. line, and then trying to catch... Right. Trying to reel in... Is that just spear fishing? It, it's kind of like... Um, Esteban goes fishing. Uh huh. Well, I, I I told you guys like a you know a few months ago actually that I actually I don't play guitar anymore. I don't play six string guitars anymore. I play one string guitar to a fish. Right. Mm. And it's just a ten foot long guitar with a very long it's a con- string. Concept. Yards, it's a strong. concept album, pretty much. Yeah. It's a very. It's a. It's a real uh, proggy concept. A lot of way. I like how abstract your weekend is. Every time we go to Justin's weekend, it's like this very abstract concept. It's like, remember Eek the Cat, the cartoon show? Which cat? Eek. Eek the Cat. Am I the only guy on this podcast? I didn't get him. Dave, do you remember that? I am familiar with it. I'm not sure I ever watched it. Yeah. But I I do remember it. Yeah, one of your cats is Eek the Cat. I, I, I've seen him roaming around there in the background on Zoom here. All I'm getting at is Justin's weekends are crazy. What about you, Dave? What's new? Anything good? My weekend was good. I, I like I played guitar, <laughs> which I don't like doing. Yeah, I wrote boo. a bunch of riffs. Nylon you know, I, I started a band, so I, I'm playing guitar because I can't find a guitar player. So I'm the one playing guitar, and it's terrible, and I'm writing riffs, mm. and it's nice. I like it. It's brutal and, you know. What what don't you like about guitar? There's too many strings. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. dude! Ju- That's why I got to cut them down to one. Justin solved that. There's like, yeah. That's right, dude. I play I, I play a seven string, and there's like 
oh. eight too many strings. Well, oh yeah. I, I mean, if you're playing a seven string and you're talking about too many strings, right off, like you started off off wrong. You should, you know, you should have had to yeah. take a six string guitar. You immediately lose the the top like three strings, the, the like the little thin wimpy ones. I got the guitar for free, so that's why I have it, and it doesn't have. Yeah, my previous guitar was a six string, but it had a Floyd Rose uh, tremolo on it, which I hate because uh, it's just hmm. annoying. So I got a seven string guitar for free that had no Floyd Rose. It just has like a regular bridge. So it's a lot easier, but it's still, I'm a bass player. So like my strings are enormous <laughs> and there's five of them. And now there's like seven little itty bitty strings. It's hard. It's I'm not used to it. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's not what I'm used mm. to. Guitar mm. is difficult. Here, I will say. Yeah. Here are things guitars are good for. Cutting slices of clay, cutting slices of cheese. Wow! <laughs> throwing in the garbage, giving away for free. You know what I mean? Like those are all the best things that guitars are for. Slicing. Yeah. I just thought of a great use for those little thin, wimpy strings. The slice, slicing your Vermont sharp cheddar. You know exactly. I, I understand why even... Max Cavalera only played a four string guitar because he took all the, <laughs> the little skinny strings off of his yeah. guitar. He's just like, I don't need this. Innovator. Shit. <laughs> yeah, man. I have. Okay, I'll say, I don't know if I've said this on the show before. I have an eight-string guitar, and if it was a person, I would kill it. Mm-hmm. I hate this fucking wow. thing. Boo. It's if the you, worst, worst purchase of my fucking life. So If dumb. you know how to use it and everything, like it's great, but it's a lot of strings. I, I know how to use it. I'm very comfortable playing it. It's just dumb. It's <laughs> stupid. Like I have a seven-string, and I could just tune it down to F if I wanted to. Yeah, dude, it's finally- like, Finally, the truth comes out. Yeah, the truth. We is- hate guitars. We do. We do. What is it? What have I done with my life? <laughs> I've wasted many hours. But uh, yeah, so I I do echo your sentiment, Dave. Um, if it's too many strings, then you're not having a good time. I've got some good. I, I've Thank seen you. some guitars in Colin Marston's studio that'll give you guys nightmares if that's the case, man. But oh, those ironing boards with strings on. Oh them? boy, the the work. The war guitar is like a crime against humanity. <laughs> yeah, this is why. This is why there needs to be like this is why Jeff Jarrett was one of the best pro wrestlers of all time because every time he came out, he smashed the shit out of a guitar. Wow, he broke it into a million pieces. Wow, nice. Him, Honky Tonk Man. These are all the best of all time. Wow, <laughs> showing how it is. They're out there showing truth. Listen. Tonight, our guest tonight is going to be showing a little bit of truth. I don't know about smashing guitars, but probably something in his punk rock past, because we have a local legend of sorts, uh, originally from the Huntington Station area, uh, now up in Vermont, the current singer of the band The Path, formerly of the band's Contra, Solidarity Pact, and other local groups. People might even know him from his days running the Hobo House, alleged DIY venue. Our guest is none other than my old friend, John Berg tonight. Let's get him on the phone. Call up on Vermont. <laughs>
This is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with my old friend John Berg of Vermont's The Path. How are you, John? Doing good, doing good. How are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm happy to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Glad to catch up. It's been a while. Of course, man. Yeah, it's been a while. And, um, you know, I say old friend, we've, we've, we've known each other for a long time on this kind of uh, underground music journey uh, that we've been on through a lot of different periods of our lives, man. So it's, it's going to be really fun to, to, to conduct this interview the way I always do. So going back, I do know, like, you know, I remember a few me- members of your family early on, but here's the typical question. Are you from a musical family, musicians in your family, or people who influenced you to get into heavy music? Yeah, I'm, well, I, I'd i say so. My dad was a musician. He played piano, he played guitar, he wrote music, um, you know, kind of as a dad did. And uh, my mom always played music, liked to sing. So there's always music playing at my house or when we're driving around. Okay. Yeah, all, all the time. Okay, and like at at what point do you start noticing like more subversive music? Because I know I met you probably when I I think I was in ninth grade and you were in tenth grade, and you were already like full on underground hardcore and punk at that point. So take take me through your journey from like commercial music to not so commercial music. Sure, sure. So I mean, luckily, as you know, um, our high school had a lot of people that that were interested in punk and hardcore and underground DIY music. So even before I knew what punk was, I was going to shows at the old first church Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. seeing bands and I didn't necessarily connect it to, Oh, this is punk or this is hardcore, but it was just like local music um, and very accessible. And when I was 14, I was, sleeping at a friend's house and he got the gorilla biscuits ep and we just listened to it. he's like this is hardcore and we just listened to it over and over and over again that was the first time that like i really connected before that i was really i was into what a grunge i guess they called it then now it's alternative music but you know i wore flannels and with holes in it and i had yeah. a butt cut and a bad, <laughs> and a bad attitude I, yeah, I remember that. I will get into that because um, now you said the old first church. That right there is the first drop I want to I want to stop on right now because that's some of my very first show experiences there too. And for anyone who's from Huntington or Long Island who has been through the area, that's the church that's across the street from Town Hall. And it is mm-hmm. like an idyllic looking little white church that they ironically had, like not just hard, like Evolution would play there, which was like the high school metallica type of band and the scofflaws played there. world stranger i remember mm-hmm. and the, the the what about the ymca shows do you remember some of those yeah. oh absolutely absolutely it was kind of a similar thing and yeah like you said it wasn't necessarily like hardcore it was kind of like local bands high school bands but also some not high school bands <laughs> um so you did get a, a wide variety and yeah, the Y was great. I mean, all those Y core bands like Half Man were incredible. Closure, yes, yes, you know, yeah. the early Screamo stuff. Um, that's usually what I think about when I think of the Y. But, you know, plenty of other stuff. The Weebles, 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, old school stuff. So now I I remember once against being your first band. Is that the first venture into being in a band? Yeah, 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 yeah. That is that would be my first band. I uh I had a band that I talked to Charles Lacord about on the bus that we talked about starting a year earlier, but Charles we didn't play any instruments. Um so that never happened. But yes, once against would have been my first band. Wow, shout to all of the LaCourt brothers. Yeah, Jimbo LaCourt was in my was in my grade, man. Local entrepreneur, man. Shout out to all those dudes. That's crazy. <laughs> Um, True. so that, I remember you guys, you guys had like two demo tapes in high school. Wasn't one of them recorded, uh, uh like for free or on the cheap out at Stony Bro- or at some music school? Oh gosh, we recorded everything cheap. The <laughs> first, the first once against demo was actually recorded. I was, I was dating this girl whose dad had a recording studio in his basement. And he basically showed her how to hit the power button and like hit record. And I think we gave him 50 bucks to let him let us use a studio. And that's how the first one got recorded. And it was, it didn't sound good. I mean, the second one didn't sound much better, but yeah, I don't even remember where that got recorded, but it definitely didn't cost much. Okay. All right. And we we weren't about to spend a lot of money doing things. This is also the same era as the PWAC, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The PWAC is the best venue of all time. I unfortunately, unfortunately, I never got to go. But we had uh, a long time ago. We had Christian McKnight on the podcast, who used to book shows. I don't know if you you got you actually have ever crossed paths with him or met him. Oh yeah, he booked Contra with One King Down. Oh, so. Wow! Wow! He okay. He did Wait, wait. He didn't bring that up on his episode <laughs> of the podcast. That's, wow! That's surprisingly not on his website. I, wow! All like, right, now I know. He's now got I know. Christian. You got to update your LinkedIn, bro. I don't know. I know. But um, uh, so yeah, we had a whole episode with Christian, and he went into the uh, his experience with the PUAC. So I just want to also get maybe just a little bit of some of your recollections because I'm thinking back now. I literally have. I remember being in the cafeteria at Huntington High School. Wishing I could go to shows with you telling me about the PWAC. And I think you were there one time when the cops shut a show down. Dude, it, it was amazing. And it was like when I was probably about, yeah, 16, I was going to shows there. And it was huge. It was a huge warehouse space with a big stage. And it was a DIY space, you know, run by the kids, so to speak. Um And the shows were amazing. Like, I remember seeing VOD there, and there was just this line. There must have been 3,000 kids at that show. Wow. Like, it's just so many people would come out, and I would see incredible hardcore bands from all over (laughs) the country. Um, And it was wild. I mean, just the amount of kids that were coming to shows um, were great. And... Yeah, then it got shut down because of cable vision. But I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've heard about that. Well, yeah, Christian, um, yeah, Christian <laughs> elaborated on that, man. I just wanted to get some of your memories on that. Well, also, yeah. something. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say it was, it was an amazing venue to grow up with because it let me see what was possible, you know, just with a bunch of people getting together and making things happen. 
and it was really good to have in my formative years. Yeah, yeah, man. That well, they, I, that's that's what I would say about the. Um, at least I got to go to the old First Church and some of those YMCA shows, not even realizing what I was what I was looking at. But now, something Christian talked about was how, how some of these venues in New York City. Um, maybe started like closing down, not having as many shows. And and that's why you see these like uh, community centers, VFWs, Knights of Columbus, and so on in the suburbs having shows in the late nineties. What, like, did you, did you get to go out to the city much in high school in the nineties or? Yeah. I mean, I went to the city um, periodically. I mean, there was always a lot going on on Long Island though. Right. I yeah. mean, there were so many shows, so many good shows, but like, if I needed to, I'd go into the city, you know, if, to go to ABC No Rio, you know, you don't get that on Long Island, but no, no, of know, course it, there was, there was a lot and Long Island's wildly diverse. And I don't know how much you talk about geography, but Long Island's huge. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. There were a lot of opportunities to see really good music. Yeah, especially once you got the car, um, or one of your friends got the car in uh yes. in high school. That that often determined if somebody was in a band or not, if you had the whip, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little easier once you have the car and you don't have to depend on on somebody's cool mom. <laughs> yeah, man. But shout out to my mom. She was cool like that sometimes. But <laughs> but um now you you talked about Long Island's diverse, Long Island's huge. There are a lot of different neighborhoods in Long Island, a lot of different back in the days, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm older now, so I wouldn't even be able to tell you what's going on with Long Island hardcore nowadays. Really, you know, it's always a youth oriented movement. But like back in the days in the '90s, we're talking about kind of like the the peak of Victory Records, um, New yeah. York New York hardcore. You know, was like king, and things were known for being violent at one point. Um, things were known for this kind of crew mentality. And I've always said, you know, going back as a bit of an outsider, because I was more of a metal guy, but it's like there was two types of hardcore on Long Island. There was like the tough guy hardcore and I would say food, not bombs hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you and you know, what I, mean? I want I want to get your take on that. And like you, what you remember growing up kind of in, in both worlds, you know, like like uh, trying to get yourself started as a teenager on Long Island. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing silent majority at the PWAC and having some really lanky ninja guy punch me in the face and bust my nose open. Mm. And that was during silent majority. So like, <laughs> you know, they're like a hard, tough band, but like, you know, sometimes people get wild and that's okay. Whereas like, like the more DIY crust stuff, you know, that was happening on Long Island. Like, I guess it wasn't as as violent as the, the hardcore stuff. It was more community-oriented, but I don't want to say the hardcore scene wasn't. It was just kind of a little different. You know, it's a different, different dance with a different tribe. You know, but they're both valid. Uh, yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not mad at that guy that punched me during Solomon's <laughs> Yeah, well, I doubt he was mad at you in particular when he did it, so it's good. Yeah, but but like you know, it's not like you know you had to go to a tension show to meet people that were dancing wild. Yeah, so well, because also later on, and you know what I wanted to get into is the scene 
that you are involved in and in a way helped found by way of the Hobo House, which we'll get into, is more known for that melodic, uh, hard pop punk influenced sound. You know, Ladderman, Iron Sheik, for example. So it's kind of yeah. like I see you at the forefront of that subgenre that comes from Huntington, really. And, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, like a lot of people called it like the DIY scene or the DIY punk scene or, or what have you. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting because, you know, when, when Contra started and everybody loves ska, nobody wanted to book <laughs> my band, which was fine, which was totally fine. Um, and then we became friends with the insurgent and nobody really wanted to book their band either, even though they had ska parts and they were pretty good looking. So sometimes they get shows, but we would just start booking our own shows. And then we'd have other bands that we we're friends with and they'd start booking, you know, playing those shows. And then it becomes something that people look at and they're like, oh, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's its own. See, it's just, I don't know. We, we were just friends, you know, that played shows, book shows, had fun. You know, it's hard to say there was a sound to it, but yeah, like, like laddering came from it, you know, those bands. But then there was also bands like Fuck Cops, which was one of those <laughs> other bands. You know, a lot of bands played that basement. So, you know, it's it was more of a vibe than a than a sound for me. Uh, I, as a out again, as an outsider, I agree, and it's very interesting to me because it's a homegrown local scene. I associate a lot of bands, um, uh, you know, through the years, and and Buckshot Facelift has kind of managed to shoehorn ourselves in every once in a while, um, through you know through the years too, even though we didn't really fit in. Now, going back and 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 looking at it that way, like we said, there's kind of like these you know two two scenes, or you know, there's room for a lot of different types of stuff on Long Island. But your scene, it is, it's like a vibe. It's like a, a very community-oriented group of friends. I always noticed a lot of friendship between all the bands. Could we get into the history of, um, of the actual The Hobo House, which for the listeners was a long-running, I guess you could say it was, it was a, it, you know, you guys had house shows, but it was more just, yeah. it was more just a, a, a house where a bunch of punk rock and, kind of artistic type of people lived in Huntington for over, over a decade. Right. Combined with the two houses. Yeah. 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 It, it kept going after I moved out. Um, yeah. So, so let's a let's, little over a decade. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the hobo house, how did it start? So I was living in Florida. Um, I had my older son, Joe, at that point, who was about two. I wanted to get back to Long Island and I was visiting and I was talking to Phil Douglas from Ladderman and Fuck Cops. And he was talking about how his parents were looking at getting a different place and maybe renting his house out to him and some friends. And we talked to a few people, you know, uh, Anthony Greco, the legend, um, you know, Steve Andolfo. Kevin Van Meter, a few other people, and for for just just because there's a, there's a significant crossover with our listenership for trauma film uh, fans, Tony Balls uh, of, <laughs> yeah, of trauma yeah. trauma films lore, uh, our our good friend Anthony Greco. I'm sorry to interrupt you, John. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Totally, it's worth interrupting. 
It's worth interrupting to clarify. Um, but yeah, basically, we were all kind of looking for a place to live. Punk houses are affordable when you break the rent into, you know, nine ways for a four bedroom house. And we we're allowed to put up a wall to make the dining room a bedroom. We we're allowed to make the basement into a bedroom. At one point, uh, Maddie Joe Canino was living next to the oil burner called that a room <laughs> allegedly yeah, yeah. allegedly yes. And, yes, and, yes and the shows in the basement which was also phil's wasn't it like phil's broom and slash studio slash where you had shows slash, yeah it, it was his bedroom <laughs> slash recording studio and that's where all those iron chic and latterman records got recorded yes all the records from all of the bands from that era um got recorded in that bedroom recording studio show space basement yeah i i had um pipe dreams i i i I floated it to the guys and i remember maybe texting or emailing phil once or twice trying to get buckshot in there to record a song or two man but again it didn't you know we were trying to shoehorn ourselves in it didn't work man but (laughs) but regard regardless man now let's stop there because i always think of the hobo house as the second hobo house the original hobo house was over here on on well i'm not going to blow up the address but in the station here um, a lot closer to, to to where I where I grew up. Um, you guys used to have contra sh- contra shows with like touring bands coming through in your in your basement of your childhood home at one point, right? So yeah, yeah, that's yes, that is pre hobo house. Um, that was my mom's house, or is my mom's house? She still has that house, and my mom was super cool. She was a cool mom, cool punk mom. Uh, well, she isn't punk, but she was cool about punk and yeah i used to do shows in our backyard then she moved to connecticut and i rented the house and we had shows in the basement for a while um yeah that was that was fun yeah well well, we were all in high school at that point man it was just crazy to me and there was one show where you couldn't even get in the basement was packed but yeah (laughs) Was I mean obviously all all of this is out of necessity of being young and having bands and wanting to put on a show, but at any point and and again I'm not asking you to like we're not saying disrespect to any other scene in in Long Island hardcore or putting anyone down or comparing, but did you guys feel at some point like you had to build your own scene within Huntington here, um because may, you know maybe you didn't identify with certain other scenes or other scenes didn't let you in because it's a very even to this day um. It, it's a it's a very specific scene that I want people to get the impression of, and we're talking about bands like you said, like Ladderman, um, Iron Sheik. I would even say, um, uh, what what's that? Band? The Fellow Project. Oh yeah, Fellow Project. Yeah, there's. There, I always think of them when I think of this scene, and again, they're not really a hard band, to, you know, so to speak. But um, and your bands, and um, uh, you know, some of the some of the bands that these musicians went on to be in. It's a very specific Huntington scene. So winding back to my question. Uh, I'll cut out the rambling, but did you ever feel like you had to make your own thing? And, um, I mean, maybe early, early, early on, but eventually it just became what we did. It's like, well, we want to play a show. We want to hang out with our friends. Where are we going to have that show? You know, it just became like an organic <laughs> thing that happened. Like there was never any like grand purpose to form a scene. It was just we were friends and we were friends with bands and we were friends with touring bands and touring bands would come through and we'd put them up and 
you know, build relationships. So that was kind of what it was all about was just building and maintaining those relationships and more than anything. I, rem- I remember U- Uzi suicide playing in the baseball oh, the yes. house. I was just talking about Uzi suicide recently, not to digress, but I will. <laughs> um, we, um, we just tracked 13 songs for an LP that'll be out. I don't know, in like 15 years. And, um, our new drummer was doing backup vocals and I'm like, Hey, like do what you want, feel it out. And he sounds just like the singer of Uzi suicide. Wow. It's so wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. that. I, I remember that's like, I vividly remember that band playing in the basement of the whole body. They weren't they from California on tour. Yeah. 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 They were from California and uh, yeah, they, we steal the paint to paint the steel. Yeah. yeah. Great band. Okay. And, one uh, before we before we move forward because I'm not, I'm not trying to take you down memory lane the whole time, but um one more thing I wanted to get into one more vivid memory I have that I'll always uh, be thankful to you for is you kind of um grabbed me one night I think you called me up and you said I'm going to see a metal band and you took me out to Nassau County I think somewhere to see Botch and it was right after they put uh, out We Are the Romans Do you remember that Hell yeah that was at um uh Ground Zero that far i think wow yeah i i it probably was i just don't remember so now i can finally tell people i went to the uh the original ground zero there in the 90s and saw botch they were crazy because that was like a small place and i remember that they uh they they did all the crazy lights before bands were doing crazy lights yes yeah they were super intense the light show was was amazing yeah that that light show was amazing man they i from what i remember the the drummer had like different lights triggered to different drums as he hit them, so it was like going with time in time with the music, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was it was wild. That yeah. show is definitely burnt into my. <laughs> well, me too, man. I'm glad we got to revisit that. And I, you know, I could never remember the venue, man. I'm glad to know it's Ground Zero now. Um, yeah. All right. So so moving forward. Contra, um, you guys, uh, just for the listeners, if they want to look this up, you put out the um, Boys Club Anthems LP on Traffic Violation Records in 2000. Traffic Violation Records, a label that the listeners can look up if they're interested in this scene that I'm talking about, which isn't just Huntington, but um, the greater Long Island and New York City area. There's there's artists from all over involved with Traffic Violation, but I think anyone who's familiar with it will know why I'm talking about Huntington and the Hobo House so much. Um, and moving forward, in the early 2000s, you formed the band The Solidarity Pact. Um, shout to Pat Schramm, uh, yeah, uh, by the way. Yeah, big shout out to Pat Schramm. Yeah, and 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 all and all those guys. But could you, let's let's get into that a little bit now, man. A new era, the early two thousands. The Hobo House, like you talked about, is kind of fully going. Phil Phil's in the basement, um, recording bands. You're having shows, and now I guess it's been a year or two since Contra disbanded. How does the Solidarity Pact come about? So. Patch Ram, who everybody knows, um, he he was talking to me and Jeff Cunningham, who was in a bunch of bands, uh, Bridge and Tunnel. He's currently in Freezing Cold, um, I don't know, a bunch of bands, Oblique, most importantly. Um, but the three of us were just talking about getting a band together and... Actually, Kev Kev Godek from Oblique originally played bass for us for a little while. Um, 
And yeah, we just kind of wanted to start a low key fun project that, you know, we just enjoyed it. You know, that band was just about basement shows and having a good time and playing hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Contra. I'm getting a little, little bit of a weird feel. Okay, it's going. Contra seems to, um, in high school, you know, <laughs> excuse me, once again started out kind of tough. Contra was very fast and, and loose. And, um, uh, you know, you've always been socially and politically conscious in your lyrics. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later, too, when we talk about the path and your more recent work. But with the Solidarity Pact, do you feel like that was maybe um, uh, symbolic of, or I, I'm trying to, you know, like, like was was that really like you know part of that whole era that we're talking about of the house shows and your scene kind of coming together and at that point when you formed the solidarity pact did you were you conscious of this role that you were playing as kind of like more of like an elder person in the scene and the way people regarded you um i don't know because there were so many people that i regard as elders in the scene so i couldn't how could i be an elder in the scene when Artie Phil is still alive, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I never really think about stuff like that. You know, when people people say things about, you know, my prior bands and and how they feel about them in positive ways, like, I think it's cool, but, you know, I, I don't really think about it. I just, I'm in bands that I like being in, that I think are fun, <laughs> that my friends are going to like. You know, like I could, I could send Phil a track, like, yo, check this out. He'd be like, that's sick. You know, like that's kind of what I look for. So I don't know. I don't really think about that. I mean, maybe, maybe more now, now that I'm actually elder, but. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And maybe let, we won't tread as deep then. Let's just get into this about Solidarity Pact. Um, 2004, uh, the album Concrete Don't Give a Fuck is, again, your kind of um, uh, one-off album before the, the group uh, calls it a day. I got to ask you, and if you don't want to spill the beans, you don't have to reveal the secret, but why all the Robin's Robin Williams uh, references? <laughs> it, that's not even the best story out of everything from that record. Um, it, we needed song titles, I think, Jeff was on online and he just started like shouting out Robin Williams movies. And we thought it was funny. A lot of that record is the result of us thinking that something's really funny. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it's like, it's, it's a serious record, but it's also like really funny. You know, not it's it's poignant, if you will. You know, it's not to be taken too seriously, but it's also dead ass fucking serious. But yeah. Well, that's that's kind of your style is to lace um, very, very harsh truths with with this kind of like very um, sharp sarcasm. I I, I, I get it, man. Now, um, there's a. There's also something we got to talk about that you 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 started the label Burn It Down Rebuild Records that you were part of that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, I did that for a little while. 
Yeah, you you put out Buckshot Faceless first album. <laughs> Heck yeah, I think it might be the best record I did. Well, I yeah, man, I, I no comment on that. But um, could could you just talk a little bit? Like, like here here's also what I'm fishing for too, man. I brought it up once or twice too about Buckshot Faceless trying to shoehorn ourselves in to the DIY scene a little bit though. Was there any pushback on on this? Was there any like you're putting out Buckshot Faceless record, and this is admittedly with us having a questionable reputation um in the local scene as for, for some. <laughs> well, the thing with with Burnt Down Rebuild. And pretty much with like what I like doing, I always like repping my friends, mm-hmm. you know, and there's very few things that like, like once you're kind of in that circle and we're friends, like I'm into it. And Buckshot, like I remember when you played the Hobo House Basement, I don't know, I think it was your second show. Um, it was so sick. And I was like, I want to do a record for this band because it was sick. And like, it, I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't matter to me because your band was sick. I knew you, I knew, like, I knew most of the band for a long time at that point, because most of us went to high school together. And yeah, yeah it's true, actually. It, it, it made sense. You were a sick local band that, that should have been wrapped so all right all right i i appreciate it man i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna fish any further but buckshot facelift definitely had some some funny shows back in the day man and some funny times but um, and and i still stand by that record i think that record is so good oh yeah well (laughs) again i'm not gonna get into it man but we got we got jokes in the group text don't worry about why that album is the best album um (laughs) but uh but you know we we all get older man it's all good so so but but enough, enough about my bands i just wanted to bring that up with burn it down rebuild records you put out the um the solidarity pact concrete don't give a fuck in 2004 you put out buckshot faces first album and um you kind of I, I wasn't it at that point that you kind of call it a day and you know you had you had some family things that you wanted to work on yeah i mean i i'm a much better punk than a business person and I couldn't focus on it enough to like really give it all it needed to like make it not even viable, but just like what what the bands needed. You know, it wasn't something I had the energy at that time to do. So yeah, I think your CD was the last release that I did. I think about 10, 11, 12 records altogether cds mostly because that was cd time yeah the early 2000s yeah the the hobo house got sold and i really wonder like how many copies of that gridiron cd (laughs) like the the new family had to excavate well i i i I, we lucked out with buckshot facelift that was the um the best deal any label ever gave us because we got boxes and boxes of our own CD when you folded the label, man. I always hell yeah, that. that's that's how good we took care of you. We just <laughs> yeah, man, you like, take all of these. You guys in Paragon, shout yo, shout to all the labels that have supported our bands, but um, over the years, man. But yeah, that was that was a, the, the best deal I ever got. I, I think yeah. we got and, cases of that shit. For the record, it was not Buckshot Facelift's fault that the record label folded. <laughs> if, if there's any question. Although we are interviewed in the final issue of Under the Volcano Zine too, man. So I don't know. There's there's something uh, about that buckshot facelift, man. Once we finally get it in, you know. <laughs> let it be known. It's a wrap. But 
Um, so speaking of it being a wrap, though, it's not a full-on wrap because eventually we know you relocate to Vermont, um, where you now reside, and you find some like-minded musicians where you form the band The Path. Uh, you mentioned you recorded some new stuff. Um, of course, we got to mention that in 2019, you put out your album Chaotic Good on State of Mind Records, which is actually a Huntington-based label. Our friend Punk Rock, shout out to him. Um, before we get full on with the path and your current work, tell, take us through your path to, to, to your, now you're in Vermont. You did the, the right move for your career and your family, regardless, you know, whatever. And, and uh, take us through your, your, you're trying to figure out how do I get into the punk rock scene up here? How do I continue my punk rock life up here, going to shows and maybe forming a band? And how do you form that band? Sure. It, it took a little while. I mean, it, I definitely like went to a couple shows and just kind of lurked and was a little weird and <laughs> awkward in the back for a little while. Um, but I was at a show at 242 Main, which was an important venue up here. And this guy, Mikey, um, that everybody up here knows, he just chatted me up. And then we started talking and then he invited me to the volunteer meetings at 242 Main. I'm like, I could do this. So I started meeting other people, kind of going to more shows. And uh, then I met Matt Kimball, who plays guitar in the path. And after, you know, seeing him around and talking to him two or three times, I gave him a Solidarity Pack CD. Um, which I have a few in my basement if anybody needs one <laughs> <laughs> plug there for, for that. But uh, yeah. And then he just was on me about starting a band. And at first I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And then kept asking and asking. And then grace was like, I think you should do it. I'm like, I don't know. That's it's more than you think it is. And yeah, she was very into it. And I was like, okay, fine. Let's, Let's just do it. And to be honest, I I thought it was just going to be like, hey, let's record an EP that we aren't going to show anybody and maybe play a show to nobody. And here we are seven years later. Huh. <laughs> and well, you mentioned 242 Maine. Could you explain to the listeners? I understand that actually has the title of America's longest running DIY venue. Did I get that right? It did. It did. Um, I think that now that it's been closed, it may have lost that. So okay. that would have to be fact checked. But it did have the title of the longest running um, DIY venue in the country for a long time. It was started by Bernie Sanders' wife, huh. uh, Jane. And it was part of Burlington Parks and Rec. And um, it started as a teen center. And as almost all teen centers in the 70s and 80s do, they become venues for punk shows. And then it, you know, kind of morphed into what ultimately just became a venue predominantly. But, well, that's not true. That's not true. There was also, like... Um, rock camp for kids and things like that. And before I moved up, there was a lot of programming, 
But by the time I moved up, a lot of it was dying out. The city wasn't being supportive of it. And the larger building that it was in, Memorial Auditorium, ended up having to get closed down because it needs millions and millions of dollars in renovations. So two for two main isn't there anymore, but it was a, it was a really cool venue and I'm glad that I got to play there before it closed. Okay. All right. I just wanted to get a little history there. Cause I know it was a historic venue and you brought it up. Um, and now speaking of the path, you know, I mentioned before, you've always been very outspoken and uh, passionate um, in terms of some of your political views and, and social activism and things like that. I mean, going back to before that was even um, a, a big, a, a kind of a bigger uh, deal in, in, the, in like the, the popular culture. I mean, back in the, in the mid to early 90s, didn't you get arrested once in Huntington at some sort of protest? Allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, um, allegedly, I may have been at a Reclaim the Streets rally. Okay, well, in, we, we, in Huntington. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I got around. I, I believe in direct action. And when I had the luxury of doing direct actions like that, I did direct actions like that, allegedly. All right. Well, we we could also edit that. Edit <laughs> no, that part. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> but well, I wanted to speak to the larger point of um, someone such as yourself, who's always been very outspoken. Have you ever had um, uh, any sort of pushback or confrontation when your bands perform live? Yes. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't like Contra for reasonable reason i mean we <laughs> we were abrasive with our our message you know we we were very upfront with what we were saying and what we we're about and we wanted to be heard and you know that didn't resonate with a lot of people um which is fine you know not everybody's going to connect with it um you know and then the solidarity pact you know, it was kind of like a different, different thing, but like everything's political, you know, like I can't get away from it because those are the things that impact me. I just kind of write about it differently now um, where it's not as much ham fisted and, you know, beating down on people. Mm. And, but I still try and I don't even try. It's just like, it's part of what I think about and what I have feelings about. So let, let me yeah. ask, let me ask you this: Did moving from uh, Long Island, from suburban Long Island, uh, adjacent to New York City, to a more rural area like where you live now, did that change any of your viewpoints or give you a different perspective on anything like that? Um. Yeah, I mean. On a few things, um, despite not eating meat, I am very pro-hunting. I'm far more pro-hunting than I was when I lived on Long Island. But I, Vermont is is different than Long Island because Vermont is very locally focused and people are far more involved in their towns and their like local communities than Vermont, so you kind of approach things a little different. Mm. Um, 
than on Long Island where everything's just so massive and, you know, indomitable. So it's a rat race, Long Island. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I always say like when I'm on Long Island, I feel like I, I'm entering into a competition where like, I don't know the rules, but I know that I'm going to lose if I don't get something faster than the next person. (laughs) (laughs) That's driving on Long Island. Oh God. It's like driving or like you're at the supermarket, like getting on the right line. It's like everything, you know, getting to the pump at the station. It's like, you're just competing for everything in so much space Um, where, you know, Vermont, we certainly don't lack for space, which is, which is good. Okay. For me. All right. So, so then, then moving back into the music a little bit with the path, what was it like? Because I'm taking it. It was the, you know, give or take, it was probably the better part of a decade between your last show, your last, you know, time singing for a band and then joining the path. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's about, about a decade roughly. Yeah. So, so yes. what, what, take me through that, man. Was there some growing pains? Because you, you have, just for the listeners who are unfamiliar, you have an extremely abrasive and what more people might associate with, with uh, power violence or, you know, even black metal at times, uh, singing style that, that, that you put onto a lot of this uh, more melodic punk and hardcore. So for, f- take us through getting back into that after not doing it for so long. Sure. It, it was a process. Um, you know, the first show that we played, like after our set, I thought I was going to vomit all over myself. <laughs> uh, it was, it was a lot. It's, uh, you know, I just make it look easy. No, it's, it's hard and it's, it's hard to get back in fighting condition. Mm. Um, but then you do and you just keep going and, you know, now it's fine. But yeah, it, it was, it was tough. It was also tough, like, I don't want to say working up the nerve as much as feeling that what I was doing was valid and worth doing. Mm. Um, you know, because like, I don't want to do a bunch of dumb shit, you know, and then be like, Oh, listen to this, you know, listen to this dumb shit. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to do something, I want it to be fun and I want it to be what worth doing. Um, so I think that that was more of the stress about it. I also had really low expectations for what this band was supposed to be. Um, and then it just kind of kept going. So that made it a little easier. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to start a band and we're going to play all these shows. Like if, if I knew that we had plans to play more than one show, I'd be like, yo, I'm out. <laughs> no thank you but uh but yeah it was the the expectation was really low and it was a time where i kind of needed an outlet and needed friends to do something creative with and it worked out what's interesting about it is having known your history we talked about contra solidarity pack it fits right in. You know, it's it's a whole different region of the country um, with obviously a new group of musicians, but it seems to kind of just fit right in with the um, chronology 
especially for people who might be familiar with Contra, because it, it is a little bit more abrasive, I would say, than Solidarity Pact. It's very to the to the oh, point yeah. and, and punchy. Um, could you tell us a little bit, because we obviously, hopefully the listeners have gotten to know you a little bit by now. Could you tell us a little bit about the other musicians you work with in uh, The Path? Um, sure, sure. So The Path has been through a few lineup changes, as as most bands do. But currently, um, my guitarist, Matt Kimball, he started the path with me. He, um, he's excellent, excellent person, great guitarist. Um, you know, you know how there always has to be like roles for each person in the band. And some people's role is to not have a role. But he, we share a lot of the responsibility of the band stuff, the boring stuff, the email stuff. Um, I do the Facebook, he does the Instagram, and we we balance each other really well, which is good. He, he's um, he's also he's he's the the guitarist that's also very outspoken on stage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He well, it depends on the night. It depends on the night. Okay, sometimes, yeah. uh, sometimes he will he'll you know talk on the mic. Sometimes it'll be Chris. Um, Chris is our other guitarist. Chris is a wild person. They are straight edge. So, of course, they are into extreme rock climbing. And, <laughs> uh, like, really, really scary shit. <laughs> like, I get pictures and I, I just want to throw up. Like, scary, scary shit. Um, um, and they also run a summer camp for LGP, uh, LGBTQ youth um, during the summer, which is amazing. And they're a huge advocate um, for those causes. Um, right now, we are working with a great drummer, um, our friend Jimmy Hughes, who is in human obliteration. Um, he moved out from California to uh, study at University of Vermont. And we linked up with him right when we lost our prior drummer, Liam. And it's sick. The recording we just did has, has a lot more blast beats in it. Hmm. Um, definitely faster. Wow. So, so sick. Um, we, our bass player, Ryan, he is a transplant from Florida. He likes ska. <sighs> He's good. <laughs> No, he he's great. Um, he's from but Florida. he does like Scott. He's from Florida. He <laughs> likes Scott. What do you got? To, so did you yeah. did you play in the Scott flaws at least? Yeah, no, we get into discussions about you know. Apparently, <laughs> there's a good Scott that people tell me about. Uh, I haven't heard that. I'm I'm not an expert, man, but um, <laughs> it's just funny because it you know you know it's interesting to me that you um uh, you know all these miles away from Huntington. And why I bring up the fact that, um, uh, you know, both your guitarists are a little bit outspoken on stage, too, at times is because it seems like you found people who have a very similar energy to what you've always done musically. So it, it's it's really cool, man. Yeah, I, I'm really fortunate. Um, I mean, luckily, Vermont is filled with sensible, like minded folks, you know, who so finding people that are like comfortable with my political leanings and my my overall vibe around those things is 
is pretty easy. And, uh, you know, luckily I found people that are into playing, you know, high school fist fighting music <laughs> in their 30s and 40s. So, Have you guys toured much or, or traveled much out of state? I know you've played Long Island once or twice. There was actually, unfortunately, you you were actually playing here in Suffolk County, Long Island last year at one point, the same day that I was all the way up in Rochester with Exsanguinated. But be, be, uh, besides that, have you actually um, done much touring? Or So we, we've been doing, like, weekends. You know, we, we do a lot of weekends. It's more manageable for us. Um, we just did a weekend with Blind Idol, which is Kyle from Crafters project with tyson who's in maniac and a bunch of other bands um you know we play long island yeah when we can you know the pandemic took a big chunk out of that but we just came down and played with sheer terror yes Uh, yes yeah uh that show was crazy that show was really crazy uh been a lot of fun yeah amityville musical yeah and uh Controlled Substance. I don't know if you've listened to them. They're a really sick hardcore band. I looked them up. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar. All these new bands making me feel old nowadays. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, speaking of the pandemic and, and you know, nowadays and everything, you guys did something I, I, I liked a little bit. You put out that tape that um that with vinyl pressing, de- with vinyl pressing delays like these, uh, you know, who needs enemies or I forget <laughs> the exact name, but you had a bunch of splits uh, set to come out um, that you've recorded since, uh, your, like I said, your 2019 album, Chaotic Good on State of Mind Records. Um, you've recorded some splits to, to come out. Since then, and obviously with the vinyl delays and all that, you put that out on Bandcamp and on um, cassette. You want to tell us a little bit about those those uh, newer recordings and um, yeah. if, if any of those are available? I don't know if you want to plug anything. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, yes, we during the pandemic, um, once we were able to practice, we we started writing and then recording and writing and recording and um, you know. I love making buddies. So being stuck at home on the internet really plays to my strengths. And yeah, we just started making plans and um, we have a split seven inch, which actually just came out on state of mind with a band called gone wrong who are incredible. They're um, a younger band from Vermont. They're like skate kids. Um, They started when they were in high school and, you know, it is really raw awesome hardcore we've got a seven inch which is about to come out on 625 thrash and and blind rage out of ohio and we've got another split planned with kill your idols which is going to come out question mark and another split with a european label which is also a question mark um, but yeah, we ended up with all of these songs and all of these plans and then we're like, we need to kind of get some of these songs out, you know, because we don't know when they're going to come out. I know that the seven inch should be out in the next couple months. Um, past that, the other releases I am not sure about, but you know, we wanted to get something out and, you know, and. In my true fashion, I have to do things that make me fu- make me laugh. So I put a sad clown on the cover. 
think all you know with with vinyl turnaround times like these who needs enemies because you know i i want my pretty records because i like them but you know it's a holdover cassette and we're we're psyched about all these projects and getting the chance to do these projects so you know just trying to keep things alive uh, well you, you said you said a split with kill your idols yeah 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 that, that kill your idols yeah, yeah classic long island hardcore band for people who, who might not be familiar are you one of the guys who has the kill your idols uh symbol tattoo yeah yeah i got the kill your idols my kill your idols tattoo many 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 years ago yeah well yeah. in high school there was a whole crew of people that got that yeah it's uh it was like a like a rite of passage on Long Island. Yeah, like yeah. At one point, well, take us through that, man. How like like take us through what how big a deal Kill Your Idols was on Long Island in the '90s for the people who might not realize. Sure, I mean, I myself and and a lot of other people would quickly say that they're easily one of the most important one of the most important hardcore bands to ever come out of Long Island. Mm. Um, no, they are, they're important. They, Killer Idols, like, taught me how to be in a band. You know, like, when Contra booked their first tour, um, they gave us their tour booking contacts. We were like, hit up these people, you know, and like, that's how we learned how to book tours. And, you know, just watching, watching them do only, like, they did what they wanted to do. And like eventually things worked out. Yeah. And you know, I think yeah, I mean they're they're easily, easily my my favorite band, mm. if not, you know, I mean top I don't even want to say top two bands. I don't know. But yeah, they're a super important band. If people don't know them, they should check them out. Um are, it's worth are, are we allowed to talk? Well, I guess this since they're back to get we're allowed to talk about their other band. That's the same guys yeah. from Black Anvil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Well, because Pretty a lot sure. of the people who listen to my podcast might be way more familiar with Black Anvil from New York, which is a much more extreme metal, black metal um, type of band. But yeah, these guys um, definitely cut their teeth in the Long Island hardcore scene for many years uh, beforehand. And, yeah, um, and I, I guess they're back now with Kill Your Idols. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Kill Your Idols is they're, they're amazing musicians. You know, there's a lot of people that are in hardcore bands and they can be hacks, but, you know, the people in Killer Idols, like, they are really, really great musicians. That's why, you know, they can branch out and be in bands that are that are so drastically different without with, with it being seamless. Yeah, I would I would agree, man. Um and and so so then moving forward, man, you talked about some of these upcoming releases and releases that are available with the path. You mentioned um, you have you have a, a what you say you recorded a new album, but you're not sure when it's coming out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we just recorded a, a concept record called Prison Planet, and <laughs> I I don't know. It's it's going to come out. You know, we have to figure it out. I uh, normally I I do all the art for the the path yeah but i don't think i want to tackle this one i've got ideas that i think are are bigger than me uh um, wow but yeah like we're kind of just in like the planning stages so we recorded with uh 
Will from Restraining Order in Massachusetts at this at his studio. It was wild. Um, I'm going to, to divert for a moment to tell you about the studio. Um, we went to Massachusetts, and keep in mind, we're used to Vermont. You know, Vermont's like all calm and regular, and this is like really just like like city Massachusetts. And it's in this building that, you know, those buildings you'd walk into and they're just like a bunch of different companies in an office building. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like one of those buildings, but during COVID, like all of the people that rented those places bailed. So it's like kind of weird (laughs) that people that rent the places, like there was a family living in one of the places multiple Spanish churches in like these office spaces. Very odd. Um, And we recorded over Easter weekend. So when, when I had to record vocals, there was an Easter service going on this really loud Spanish Easter service Mm. across the hall. And I'm just like screaming because I have to get my vocal tracks done. And they were all really nice. Nobody seemed to care. I guess there's like this weird, uh, weird relationship where everybody's just cool with each other. But it was, it was very strange. But if the, yeah. if if they were evangelical or certain other denominations, they might have thought that you were just participating. That- they, there was there was one woman I I wanted to get on our record. And I even was like, let's let's record this. But then, you know, <laughs> luckily my band reeled me and they're like, you know, you don't know necessarily what they're saying. You don't necessarily want to put something on the record that, you know. But yeah. yeah, there were people going off, like really just like, and in Spanish and yelling and then singing and then I'm screaming. And yeah, it was wild. But they were all really nice when they were coming in and out despite all of it i don't know it was bizarre but mm. it worked out it sounds like everybody had a good time on easter sunday that, that, that yeah yeah, um, yeah everybody <laughs> handled their business on easter sunday wow so um john i've had you on a while now man and i i uh uh you know how i usually wind up um uh kicking the listener out man i ask you to recommend an older and a newer release before you plug anything. But I also don't want to leave the listeners hanging, man. I, I, um, I plugged online that we were going to divulge to anyone who had any illusions about big will, uh, AKA uncle buck being cool that uh, I was a tremendous dork back in the day in high school. And as I said, at the top of the interview, I met you when I was in ninth grade and you were in 10th grade. I don't know if you have any, Maybe any particular cringe story or just any like so, just any statements uh, for the just for the for the for the joy of the listeners. If you want to roast yeah. for, for, for a hot minute. So, I mean, I mean, the the bad and the good, the bad and the good, you know, <laughs> like because I find find me a 14 year old that like knows what their deal is and really <laughs> nails it. you know show introduce me to that kid because they don't really exist but yes like when i met you i remember um long long hair like long butt cut hair um yeah. i remember a flight jacket you wore a flight jacket um for a while but like I remember 
you would come in with these cassettes of these like gore grind bands from some cave somewhere and you'd be like you'd be like yo check this out and i'd be like what the fuck is that and like i just i i could not like get there in my brain but the thing is is even though at that point you were super weird like we knew to respect it you know like that's why like all of all of us call you dm will like you were death metal will is like you were into death metal, but like for real. <laughs> <laughs> DM Will, yeah. Now nowadays, DM Will would sound like a much creepier type of person with with uh, Instagram. But... <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, not that kind of DM, but yeah, like you know, like your style was weird, but like all right, you know, everybody knew that like like you you knew what you were doing. All you right, were just just trying to line it up. Terms of death metal. All right. Well, I, you were very nice, man. I was a, a very awkward, dorky guy in high school, man. The butt cut, long hair, version one. Um, yeah. So no, right. that was the style. I mean, you weren't the only person that fell victim to the butt cut. Yeah, that was. So. The, it was like the ninety. The it was like the grunge hangover. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Haircut. Um, remember uh, what was the guy's name? I'm not gonna blow up his spot. Remember Francis? That that dude. Yeah, the mo- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I do the mohawk in high school, man. <laughs> dude, our, yeah, high school, he- our high school had a lot of freaks, dude. It was it was a lot of people, man. Yeah, last I heard, he got hurt in a forklift accident or something, ooh, and ooh. I don't know. It seemed to have gone downhill from there for that guy. All right, all, all the best to him. I was just thinking about hairstyles. I remember he was one of the first dudes rocking a mohawk in high school. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I- we 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 were really lucky to go to go to that school when we did because we had a lot of people you know that that came before me as well i mean you know chris jensen who did mountain records you know Mm -hmm. like was subbing there you know it was it was like very punk friendly and it was easy to to find things just because there were so many people that were into it so i feel really fortunate to have gone to that school at that time for that reason Definitely, man. And, you know, yeah, all kidding aside, Huntington's is kind of a special town. It'll always be in my mind just because of that era in the 90s. We worked, you know, with the old First Church, the YMCA, even for a short period of time. I never got to go there, but the VFW Hall here on Pulaski Road um, had some shows. That was a good spot. Yeah, I I never got to go. You you went to some of those shows, right? Yeah, it was awesome. That was two blocks away from my mom's house. So I felt like, like a champion being able to walk home for water. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly like this band sucks i'm gonna eat some food those the yeah. lot i heard that that place got shut down because of graffiti in the bathroom yeah 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 i i believe that was the reason graffiti in the bathroom somebody yeah. probably smashed a toilet because i i see that i see shows popping i see uh massive peak where they're having um some of these like community center shows again, man. They gotta you gotta chill with yeah. that graffiti, man. All that um, shit. It's coming back. John Scanlon for who's in uh, the fight. He yeah. seems to be booking some really cool shows that really they they've got that that vibe. Because yeah, yeah. they're like VFW shows, and you know, Long Island was all about that. It was it was a great way to do it. That yeah, that was the thing back in the day, man. And what what was the play? Was it the railroad in? Was that the right thing? track in the right track in? Yeah, the right track in. I saw you guys there once. 
Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it was you know scraped together three hundred bucks. <laughs> Run a place, and you it'll can be cool. It'll be cool until some asshole smashes the toilet. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, enough uh, memory lane, man. So, well, one more memory lane because I'm going to ask you to recommend one older uh, release oh. by any band. It could be a demo, an EP album. I don't care, metal or not, punk or not, whatever you want to do, and a newer release, man. So, just something old, something new. No strict rules. Just relatively old and relatively new. Recommend some cool music. Um, sure, sure. Let me think. Something old, something old, something old. Um, actually, you know what? I remember a long time ago, I think you gave me a burnt CD. I think it was a Captain Cleanoff discography. Wow. It was long. It yeah. was long and it was awesome. Wow. And I think about that sometimes when, <laughs> when you come up and I'm going to go back and revisit that. So I would say people should also <laughs> listen to that <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I remember it was just so sick and fast. I'm and just, screaming. I'm just glad that somebody thinks of captain clean off and me in the same thought. That's great. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, and something new. Oh gosh, that's hard. I love, I love new music and and repping bands who um you know actually there's this really local band called Deer Street D E A R S T R E E T all one word okay they're some of them go to school in Vermont but uh they're from New Hampshire and they've been playing up here a lot and they have been incredible. Um, definitely check them out. There are parts that are, I actually sent um, their guitarist a link to Obscenity in the Mill, the, the Millhouse record. <laughs> and I'm like, check this out. Cause it's got like a, a similar vibe to it. You know, like that sort of like, like if you told me they were from Long Island, it would make a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's some young folks that are really going hard and and worth listening to. So I would check them out. They just put out a new EP. I don't know the name of it, but it's on Bandcamp. So okay, that know. was Deer Deer Street. Deer Street. Deer okay. like deer, like Deer John. <laughs> deer street. and street like you live on deer street okay um but yeah no check them out um and you know there's there's a bunch of cool bands coming from long island i sold only list one but you know people or not long island vermont people should uh should scope it out because there's cool stuff happening up here okay man awesome man um yeah you know not not um everyone is familiar with uh, the the scenes in some of those uh far north states, man. Like, do you want to you want to give a quick uh, rundown? Is there any other like um you know two or three bands you want to uh, prop from uh Vermont? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Um, we're about to do a weekend out to Ohio with Voidbringer, uh, who just put out a great seven inch and a five inch and uh, and Gone Wrong, who I mentioned before. Um, you know, there's. There's, um, oh gosh, who else? Who else? There's Dead Solace. They're from Plattsburgh. They play like 
kind of heavier, heavier, hardcore, really good bands. Um, Augra from South, uh, down in South Vermont, Rutland. There's a bunch of good stuff happening up here. And uh, we've been having a lot of really good shows. Lots of people have been coming out. We just had um, uh, School Drugs and Wet Specimens just came up the other day and made a good show. So, yeah, it's uh, things in Vermont are good. They're weird, but they're good. <laughs> All right, man. Um, so, John, I appreciate your time, man. I've had you on for a while. Uh, I, I'm glad we got to kind of talk uh, memory lane, catch up on some newer stuff. As we said, uh, your band is The Path. All this stuff is on Bandcamp for The Path um, from Vermont. And um, your most recent album, Chaotic Good, on State of Mind Records, we should add. And, and like we added, there's some stuff, some splits and stuff that that are uh, you know due out now. If they're not out already, you might be able to find some tracks on that tape that you put out. Um, and we appreciate your time, man. Any uh, final messages to listeners of your music and uh, listeners of the show? Um, just keep an eye on State of Mind Records, Blind Rage, 65 Thrash. We've got a lot of stuff coming up um, that I think is super cool, and hopefully you all think it's cool. And, uh, yeah, just uh, don't be a dick to people. That's, that's the main thing. But... Uh, yeah, thanks. It's always good catching up with you, Will. Oh, you as well, John. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for your time, man. Yeah, of course. I'll talk to you soon, bud. Guitars are the worst. They are. They're like the dumbest instrument. I have um, a lot of people play them. A lot of people play them. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna come with a story of how I just bought a new guitar, but I just keep hating guitars. (laughs) I just can't stop getting them. I went into Sam Ash this weekend to buy nylon strings for my nylon string guitar. And I walked in, and I looked around the guitar room. Firstly, that place is falling the fuck apart. Mm, of course. They're all hanging all those heavy, dumbass guitars on the walls. Bring <laughs> place down. <laughs> but this place is like a, a, a sorry excuse for a warehouse now. No one's in the, It's a ghost town. All the guitars suck. They have these things. They're called. I think they're called one-offs, where you buy the neck and the uh, body separately. You do a custom, and there are these weird strat-looking bodies, and they have a bunch of those hanging around. Oh, good! Like someone wants that crap. I could just go to Target and get Legos for cheaper and more. Have more. Fun. Have more fun. I'll have more fun and possibly get an engineering degree. That's right. Look, Sam Ash is very sad right now. Guitars, mm. not good. Wow. Well, good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, man. I'm glad we didn't interview a guitarist on this episode. <laughs> Good thing we interviewed a guy who just fucking yells and screams into a microphone. My old friend John Berg from the from the path, currently of the path, uh, Vermont punk rock band, man. Shout out to him. Um, we appreciate his time. You guys do not appreciate the time of those valued employees at Sam Ash, uh, apparently at all. <laughs> What's going on, man? Look, They're also terrible. <laughs> you got it. They're probably worse than the actual building 
I mean, they're tired people. They don't want to be there. I mean, no. let's be real. Yeah. When you have someone working at Sam Ash, you yeah. know that they have something that they were trying to do before they got into Sam Ash. Mm. Mm. It just didn't work out. But, you know, because they're a musician, the vicious cycle of the music industry, you end up working at Sam Ash. That sucks. Jaded musicians. I got to say, I'm sure some of them are pretty nice. But Bold. I can guarantee you, not all of them. <laughs> I've had some. Not all. I've gone there to buy a microphone, and had a had some guy like like as I walked away because he 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 wasn't helping me anymore. He was just showing off his like ability to use this. You know, you know those like electric DJ, like ele- like scratch the electric turntable, digital turntable, like a CDJ. Yeah, like a CD. It was, yeah. This was like 15 years ago. He was like, he was like, he was like, oh, what are you guys doing, man? What do you need a microphone, man? Oh, check this out, man. And he was like, try, he was like trying to sell us one of those when we asked for a microphone. And then he started scratching it and like demoing it, and we just walked away. Like, so it's kind of like there's as much as I hate to admit, there's I think there might be a little truth in what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, I know there's truth. I know I'm I'm saying this as a pure observation. I'm not saying they aren't even nice, not going that far, but they are. They don't want to be there at all. Well, yeah. you got to feel for some of them, but not all. Not of all. Them, but but not then all you have them. some people who have no um, illusions of grandeur or delusions of grandeur about the music industry, like the band Rot from Brazil, and 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 that that's the true segue right now. The uh, long running guitarist uh, Mendingo, uh, apparently since 1990. Um, with some some hiatuses in between, and um, unfortunately, their bass player Alex uh, Strambio, if I said his name right, uh, apologize, uh, passed away um, just about a year ago in, in April 2021. He was in the band since the early 90s as well. That's a band that we're going to talk about. Dave, the other day you texted me, and you were asking me about Rot from Brazil, and and Mister Big Shot Will, instead of doing the research, I just rattled off some some misinformation to you. Um, I casually and, and in a cavalier fashion rattled off misinformation and polluted your perspective, sir, on Grindcore. And I apologize to you for that in front of everyone because the band Rot from Brazil, there's a lot more to them than just their Cruel Face of Life uh, album that came out in 1994. As a matter of fact, during the research today, I found out that they put out this album Organic in 2021 on Larvi Records. Um, and it's just a heavily recommended Grindcore band. And... You talk about eight string guitars. I I don't know how many strings this guy ever used. This guy this is like for Napalm Death fans. This is like straight up and down brutal grindcore. There's no there's no grind death. There's no death grind. There's no grind hardcore. This this is like purest grindcore. So I wanted to get your guys' takes on it a little bit. Maybe Dave, let's start with you since you kind of started the conversation with me last week. I, I I loved everything that you suggested to me like this week. Like. The the release that I that that inspired my my question to you was the the rot split with sublime cadaveric decomposition, and apparently that material is more like kind of hardcore punk. It's not really the grind or gore grind that they're kind of known for. So I was like, I was like, oh man, like why like why do people like this band? And but all the 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 other albums like the the cruel. Face mm-hmm. of Life, Organic, and the other EP. Holy shit. That's some fucking great grindcore, gore grind, whatever you want to call it. It's, they're just solid, like, very early Napalm Death style grindcore, stripped down, 
good shit. Just like nothing special, nothing like in, like nothing like really mind blowing, but just like solid. They know exactly what they're fucking doing. It's fucking just great grind. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really happy that I, I that you like put me onto this band because they're so freaking good, and I, I could go on about each release because it's all just so good. A few episodes ago, we were talking about Putrefaction Sets In, which you brought in. And I feel like this is kind of that same caliber of grindcore. It's just reliable grindcore. And that split with SCD that you brought up where there was a little bit more of a punk style, I remember that from back in the day, and it made an impression on me. It wasn't my thing. But, you know, I really wish I followed this band more through the years because it seems like that might have been just an off-recording or, or a different era for them because such a solid, consistent grindcore band, one I would put up there with, like, my favorites, like Dead Infection or Excruciating Terror, maybe just saying that Rot is, like, a little bit more more caveman grindcore, um, a little bit more bang your head against the wall grindcore than even Dead Infection. Um, such a good band. I listened to Organic today. Yeah, great album. Mm-hmm. Catchy. Um, I, I, I felt like it, it, I was wondering about that album because I didn't get a chance to really like read into it. Did they? Was it recorded before the bass player died? Or yeah, so the bass player died. He is listed on the staff on metallum shout out to them yeah i guess he passed away right after yeah okay because the 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 ep that i i didn't catch the name of that that will posted it was very like straightforward grind like sort of like like a more mature version of the the cruel face of life album but like the organic it was like it was still very grindcore but it was like had more a bit more like hardcore punk flavor to it like it like it was very grind but like you know like tasty bass licks here and there and like really like a bit more diverse sounding it still has this um in your face kind of um explosive quality to it but there's like they introduce dynamics way more than ugly face of life or whatever that one was cool face i was listening to that too and that's you know that's like that comes out in 1994. It sounds like it sounds even primitive for that time period. But then again, you're talking about Brazil, Sao Paulo. Like the scene was very different then. You know, yeah. there was no internet there. You know, they probably <laughs> they probably got scum a few years later than everyone else. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Well, do you remember I brought in Rotting Flesh? And Sarcastic, two old-school Brazilian bands over the years. I've brought those in, I think, once or twice. And similar similar thing where the production, um, the kind of, like, lack of production value is, like, adds to the grindcore atmosphere in a way. You know what I mean? Like, it's just raw. And Rot's Cruel Face of Life is one of the few grindcore albums that I would put up there with Scum by Napalm in terms of pure grindcore rawness. You know what I mean? There's not many out there that I would probably put in the same category as that. Was that like a, like an album in and of itself, or was that like a, like a, a collection of EPs I, or something? Because it, it seemed like there was, on the on the YouTube thing, there was like gaps every couple of songs. I wondered if it was like a collection of demos or seven inches. I, I looked it up. The, the like notes that. are on Metallum, but the... Um, 
It's actually over the course of 91, 92, and 93. So, like, the first 20, I think, or 21 tracks are from 93. Then, like, the next, uh, you know, however many tracks are from 92, and then the next however many tracks. So, it's basically the album, I think, is the first 20 tracks, and then the next, like, however, I think the next 20 tracks are, like, their first two seven inches added on to that. You know what I mean? But back in the day, they probably put it all on one CD because, you know, the, the internet wasn't like it is. There was no YouTube like that. So in the 90s, when they pressed the Cruel Face of Life CD, they just put all that stuff on it to get it out there, to get it pressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, it depends how you look at it. You know, whether the, whether the latest material on there was the album or whether it all just comprised the album. Because that's what people got when, when they bought that in, in 1994, you know? Did they have a drum machine? On some tracks, it, it sounds heavily triggered, but a drummer is credited, and it doesn't sound tight enough to be a drummer. It just sounds like it's the toms. Yeah, the toms sound like they're like a. It sounds like a pad or something. It's uh, strange. That could be it. It could be like a super early like E kit or something. Maybe could yeah. be an E kit or or triggered oddly or you know because it's also like who knows what what kind of resources the studio and the producer had or like even knew about grindcore at that point you know who knows man it's that's another thing about it and if you listen to the latest album organic obviously there's been some um you know it's probably a a completely different drummer and vocal i think the drummer and the vocalist were probably the most rotated positions in the band over the years but um there's the, the having that same guitarist gives it a lot of stylistic consistency so so it, it's they have a, a, quite a few releases that i ended up looking up on youtube and i felt really silly for just kind of pigeonholing them off of that one um scd split that you brought up man so really cool band rot <laughs> I wonder if the pronunciation of rot is hotch, because that's how you would say that in Portuguese. If uh, if it really? wasn't, yeah, the uh, the T's they kind of sound like ch, and a lot of the R's are H's, but not all of them. It might be roch or hotch. Huh. Well, that and I might and then they might know it's an English word. I love that. They might say that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because Tom, you are not at all of brazilian extraction but but you you're you're part of a brazilian family yes yeah not not and not in a war criminal way um yeah. <laughs> you you heard it here yeah, first plotting yeah. his escape um but yeah but no shout, shout to john berg our uh, our esteemed guest tonight from the path from vermont appreciate his time um big shout to rot from brazil we hope you got into that dave thank you for asking me about that a few weeks ago and, and forcing me to educate myself hey man my pleasure <laughs> that's right that's what we're all here for on the heavy hole podcast man you could you could leave us a voicemail or email us heavy hole podcast at gmail.com um check us out on all the social medias out there and um i, I don't know what else man thank thank you to you guys for riding with us all this time we got patreons out there if, if you want to uh check out the little uh, bonus clips we, we do and bonus episodes sometimes you can uh pigeonhole your little questions in there for the guests and, and we'll shout them out if they're not too crazy and uh th- that's about it anybody got anything else Thank <laughs> you.
heavyoldpodcast.com, uh, merchandise. You got your stuff. Did we say this? We said it. We, we actually said yeah. We're all good. good. Okay. It all checks out. Is our, I got nothing else. Is, is there any new merch ideas? Uh, yeah, I got one. Okay, then we're out. <laughs> Donovan, we're out.